You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network Podcast, episode number 14. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network Podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. I'm very excited today. I have a very special guest for you today. Her name is Rosalie Delafore, and she is one of the rising stars in the herbal medicine world. Rosalie has over 10 years of training and practice as a clinical herbalist, and she is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild. She's also an educator and education director for a company called learningherbs.com. This is one of the more innovative herbal education companies that we have. And uh, she's an author of three different online courses that were produced by the company called Taste of Herbs, Herbal Cold Care, and Apothecary. Additionally, Rosalie provides how-to articles, herbal recipes, videos and presentations for their website called herbmentor.com. Recently, Rosalie published a book, Alchemy of Herbs, Transform Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies that Heal. She lives with her husband in East Washington, and I am thrilled to have her here and can't wait to for her to share her wisdom and expertise with us. So Rosalie, my first question for you is, how did you uh, become interested in herbal medicine? When did you know that this is going to be your path? Mm -hmm. Well, I had a lot of inklings of it in my life as I look back. Like as a teenager, I was really interested in natural health. Um, I remember being really excited to finally have my driver's license so I could drive myself to the health food store. Mm -hmm. And um, I would go there and just kind of like walk up and down the aisles. I love the smell of the health food store. And they had this um, book, the nutrition prescription for nutritional healing. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I didn't like have the money to buy the whole book, but I would just go visit the store and like look through things and just look up things. And I would go to the library and get... Um, like books, like I remember getting vitamins for dummies book mm -hmm. and I made flashcards from the vitamins of like, what is the vitamin <laughs> and what does it do? And like, I'm like 16 at this point, you know, and this is like what I did for fun. Um, That's pretty impressed us. It means that uh, even at that point, you knew what you're really curious about and what you're really uh -huh. interested in. I was really excited about being the first person on Mars. So that's what I wanted to do. Okay. <laughs> so, but definitely, you know, I didn't like spend my free time um, you know, reading about NASA, I spent my free time reading about vitamins. So it probably should have been a clue there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I went to college and I loved college and I spent most of my time in college as an activist. So I often say like I minored in activism and I became really uh, involved in human rights and environmental rights. And it was what I was really passionate about. But by the time college ended, I had become just burnt out and tired and really questioning whether or not I was really being 
you know, affecting positive change with the activities I was doing. And I met someone who was really interested in living outdoors, mm-hmm. he said. And I didn't, I didn't, even at that time, I didn't really know what that meant, you know, but he was really passionate about it. And, and so through him, I got to know this other world of, um, you know, outdoor living skills. And I started uh, becoming just really interested in that and just in general. And I uh, started attending a school outside of Seattle called Earthwalk Northwest. And the school is run by a, a husband and wife team. And they teach everything from like how to build a debris shelter and how to make a spearhead for fishing and um, all sorts of stuff. And then also a lot of ethnobotanical studies through botany and through studying wild plants as food and a little bit as medicine as well as making baskets and that sort of thing. So I was studying there for a year and I was becoming more and more intrigued with the what a single plant was around me. And so it was this huge transformational process to just be waking up to the world around me and, and starting to see plants as individuals um, to not only know their name and to differentiate them from each other, but also to start recognizing them as allies and uh, as, you know, the gifts that they offer, whether it was food or medicine or, you know, what I could make a basket from. So that was a really powerful experience for me. But still at this point, it was it was amazing for me and I was enthralled and I loved it. But I still kind of thought of it as like a hobby, you know, as like mm-hmm. something I was doing Um and I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up kind of thing. Okay. And, um, and while I was in that school, I, I got really sick. And uh, it was just this really, really strange disease. And I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't have health insurance. And um, so I was just, you know, thinking I'd get better soon. Uh, so I was in bed for a month. And I uh, had joint pain. I couldn't really move very well. I had this really weird fever. I'd get this high fever at night, and then it would just go away uh, during the day and come back again at night. So I spent a month in bed and finally uh, got sent to the hospital. And it took a couple weeks, but I had this team of specialists working on me, and and they said I had this really rare autoimmune disease. Mm. And they said um, that it was incurable and that it was terminal, that my life expectancy would be about 40 years old. Um, I was like 22 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, they really just had no answers for me. That, that was it. You know, they just kind of said, um, good luck. They gave me a brochure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was it. And so in some ways, that was a real blessing for me because uh, I had this serious disease, but Western medicine was just kind of like, we just, we don't have anything for you here. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally spent like a couple days just in complete dread and panic and why me? And, um, and then I just kind of snapped out of it and was like, there has to be other answers out there. And so I started reading as much as I could. I didn't have a computer, you know, this is the internet wasn't is quite as big as it is now. Like of you course. didn't Google all your health problems necessarily back then. And, um, but I started going to the library and trying to find books and, um, and then I, I lived in Seattle at the time, and there was all these student clinics, like student acupuncture and naturopath and everything and herbalists. So I just started, you know, wherever I could afford to go, I would go. And I had this team of people working with me. And I just started, um, I took a lot of herbs. I changed my diet. I thought my diet was really healthy back then, but it really, like I was making some major mistakes, like mainly eating soy and wheat, all like as a main course. <laughs> and um, anyway, so I, I did a lot of things. And um, and in six months, I didn't have symptoms anymore. 
And I, it was really, that was another really transformational process. So I was at this point where these two worlds of mine were converging. I had this kind of weekend hobby thing that I was doing where I was learning to live outside and learning about plants intimately and, um, and really transforming from this kind of a city girl to learning to be more comfortable with the world around me. And then I had this illness that the doctor said there was nothing they could do about, but I took all these herbs and I got better. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was at that moment when I realized kind of those two intersections there that I knew I wanted to be an herbalist because I wanted to help people who were in a similar situation where Western medicine wasn't helping them and they might feel like there were no other answers out there. But I was wanting to you know, show people that we have so many gifts of plants and so much abundance in the plants. That's just all around us. That's fabulous. So what did you do next? Where did you go to study? <clears throat> Uh, well, I ended up spending three years at the Earthwalk Northwest School and apprenticing with Karen Sherwood, who's an ethnobotanist. Mm-hmm. And this that was not really herbalism so much. I mean, we were learning about plants, but it was so much fieldwork and botany and um, certainly involved with plants, but it wasn't really using herbs as medicine. Um, and then I did a lot of self-study, reading a lot of um, herbalism books that were available. Mm-hmm. And then the first, the next kind of step I took in formal education was I went to the East-West School of Herbology with Michael Tierra. Okay. And I did their uh, four-year certification program. And I also studied a lot long distance with Paul Bergner, and I learned a lot with him through about nutrition and Western herbalism, energetics. And after I had done kind of both of those more formal studies, I studied with Cartopodic Singh Khalsa, who I think of as my clinical advisor. I took a lot of clinical courses with him, and then he was also my mentor. And so we have spent hundreds of hours on the phone mm-hmm. going over case studies and talking about all things clinical related. So that was kind of my formal studies. And then I think like most people who become herbalists, we have this um, insatiable desire, a passion and obsession sometimes. So to to continue learning. I know that you have uh, used a lot of your knowledge and skills that you have uh, learned throughout your 20s. And you ended up living in a um, much smaller and much uh, less populated area of Washington. Could you talk a little bit about that and also how you were able to establish your practice and what your practice is like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I started coming out to Eastern Washington, this very small valley, um, which has a total population of three to five thousand people, depending on um, the time of year, and they're stretched out within fifty miles. And so I started coming out here, and um, really loved it out here. And we just, my, you know, now husband and I, um, we just fell in love with it, and we were really attracted to being here, and. Things just kind of opened up for us, and we started living in this little cabin on some friend's property, and the cabin didn't have running water, and it had a little bit of solar electricity, enough to like run a laptop and mm-hmm. some lights at night, um, but definitely off-the-grid living, and, um, and so we started living there, and that was a really amazing experience, just living close to the earth like that, and, um, and also, as you might imagine, rent was really cheap, which allowed mm-hmm. me to go to a lot of different herbal schools and, and that sort of thing. And um, so I had all this kind of herbal knowledge under my belt and I was really excited to be a practitioner and really work with people one-on-one. And I was really struggling to do that in this little valley. And I had an office and, 
you know, sometimes I'd have people and sometimes I wouldn't, but I just really was saying like, this was just not going to work for me. And I was talking to one of my herbal mentors and he said, um, he said, if you really want to be an herbalist, you're going to have to leave and you can't, it's never going to work there. You know, there's mm-hmm. not enough people and you're going to have to go to a big city, but that just was not an option for me. I just couldn't, you know, I needed, I wanted to do both be an herbalist, but I just couldn't do it in a big city. So sure. I really started to embrace marketing and, um, and I just, you know, as I had spent all this time learning about herbalism, I spent like a year and like all I did was focus on learning marketing and it was really a pleasant surprise. Um, you know, before when I thought about marketing, I thought about kind of like the sleazy salesman at the car dealership that was trying to get people to buy something that they might not want or need or whatever. And in this new era of marketing that we're in is more about being able to fully express who you are and the benefits you offer so that people can be attracted to you and say, yes, that's what I'm looking for. You know, that's uh, what I'm, what I need in my life right now. And so I, you know, began to learn all of this. And, um, and over time I became getting, you know, having more followers online and I started to see people long distance. Um, what does it typically mean that you're seeing someone long distance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I uh, did is that people would fill out a really extensive intake form. It would take um, about 45 minutes for them to fill out. And so just getting a health history and where they're at now and, and what, you know, they're interested in um, pursuing and so then I would get that ahead of time and I'd spend time with that going through it and getting to know the person from this intake form. And then I would spend an hour to 90 minutes on the phone with them, uh, going over it all in person and hearing their story from them. And, um, and then going from there, you know, giving them uh, herbal and supplement recommendations and lifestyle. So I'd never, um, you know, saw these people in person. And, um, and it, you know, it took a shift in my brain. You know, I studied Chinese medicine and that was a lot about tongue and pulse and I would have people send me pictures of their tongue, but I could never feel people's pulses. But I had to let that go and just recognize like this was what I was doing in this in this new way. And you know, there's pluses and minuses to doing that kind of consultation. In the pros department, it's very convenient for, for people. I especially found like moms with young children. You know, sure. they didn't have to like go across town, or you know, it's really convenient that they could call from their house and. Um, and it was able to be very thorough. So, you know, in terms of getting the information needed, um, you know, I still, there's that special connection of seeing someone in person and, and connecting with them there. Um, so there's, you know, pluses and minuses. I can't say that one is altogether better or worse than the other, but it was what I had to work with. And so that's, that's what I did. That's fabulous. And so in addition to practicing as an herbalist, you also became an educator. And so even though you educate as an herbalist, but you also formally educated people that wanted to learn more about starting their herbal practice or maybe starting their herbal journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, my entire family are teachers in one way or another. And uh, so I think I've always had that model um, before me. And I feel like as soon as I learn something, I'm excited to turn around and share what I've learned with others. And so I've, um, that's been, it's kind of like whenever I'm working on, you know, whatever I'm fired up about, I'm really excited to turn around and, and, um, you know, be a mentor, be a teacher on that subject. And so I was really, uh, you know, when I learned marketing and I became more successful online, I was able to see people and I just saw how many things I was doing wrong in terms of starting a business and 
Um, and I was making all the classic mistakes that people do when they're not, uh, when they haven't learned marketing or learned how to start a business. Mm-hmm. And so I was learning that and then looking around at the herbal world and seeing all these people who are making those same mistakes I was learned, you know, making. And, and I just really felt called to share what I was learning because I believe that this world needs more and more herbalists. Like, I don't think that we could have too many herbalists, right? <laughs> every, every one of us could have um, plant knowledge that we use in some way or another. And I want to see herbalists who are able to fully, you know, spend as much time in that area as they want to, whether it's education or, you know, working as a, um, you know, one-on-one with people. So I want to see herbalists succeed and I want to see them do that full time, not have to like, you know, push papers or spend time at a job that they aren't really passionate about and then just, just do herbs on the weekend, so to speak. So yeah, I became very um, passionate about just sharing what I'd learned and webinars and conferences. I would teach this and then I had a mentorship program where I would work with people one-on-one to kind of look at what they were doing with their business and and share you know ways that they could uh, you know streamline things or do things better so it could be more successful for them. That that's great. Thank you. In addition to training herbalists, you also uh, started to learn people that are interested in herbal medicine, and so you become uh, you became uh, involved with learningherbs.com. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became their education director and what exactly that meant and how it helps you to uh, share the wisdom and knowledge of herbal medicine with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so learning herbs was uh, and is such a beautiful thing that came into my life, and it was a really slow pro- process of working with them. Uh, I actually had met John and Kimberly Gallagher, who are the founders of Learning Herbs. I'd met them uh, through a wilderness school and through kind of more of this like naturalist training. And so that's where we first met initially. And um, we actually, I really had some time to talk to John Gallagher at a, the Northwest Herbal Fair, which happened many, many years ago. And then he lived about 45 minutes east of Seattle. And I mentioned that I was, you know, kind of tired of living in this apartment in this city. And, um, and he said, well, you know, my wife and I are renting out our basement. And uh, it was half as much as I was paying in Seattle for rent and, uh, and I was excited to get out of the city. And so I was like, great, I'll take it. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, barely knew John and I hadn't really, you know, spent that much time with Kimberly either, but I just went for it and made this leap and moved into their basement. <laughs> and um, I lived there for a while and I was, you know, learning to be an herbalist at that point. And, and, a- and after a couple months, John asked me if I wanted to write a newsletter for him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so I wrote a rosehip syrup newsletter. Mm-hmm. And so I often think of that as like, that was kind of the beginning of a very long relationship between myself and learning herbs. And um, from there, I just kind of kept doing like little things. Like he, you know, would have a course that had a transcript and he asked me to edit it. And um, then we'd have, uh, there, there were four, you know, he started Herb Mentor, which is a community membership site and there were forums there. And I started popping in there a lot and answering questions. And, and so he said, oh, you know, maybe I could give you like a little bit of money each month and you could continue to answer questions there. And I was like, sure. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was so excited. And uh, so that just kind of kept blossoming and blossoming. And um, so that's, um, and so now I write a lot of articles for them and I uh, create courses that are you know, longer, more in-depth courses for them as well. And, um, and so, and I curate 
other information from other uh, herbalists as well. And our kind of goal at Learning Herbs is to make learning about herbs simple and so that people feel empowered and excited to be able to do it themselves. And so I often think of that in mind when I'm creating content, you know, is how can I share my passion for herbs in such a way that it really helps people to, you know, move forward with their own learning. You know, my goal is always that, you know, oftentimes we learn about herbs first by reading an article or reading a book or even taking a course. But how do we get that next step where people are excited and they're in their gardens or they're, you know, in their kitchens and creating this for themselves. So it really becomes their own journey and their own transformation. And I absolutely love how you teach because um, I am someone who started learning from books and who started learning from databases and different websites. And so um, learning herbs for me was also one of those steps that helped me to uh, incorporate herb in my cooking in uh, a variety of different ways where I can actually experiment with them a lot more. Um, some of the courses that you created, one of them was Taste of Herb, and then there was another one, Herbal Cold Care. And since we are right now mm -hmm. in winter months, I wanted to pick your brain on this and kind of ask for some of the recommendations for our audience in terms of the herbal cold care. We have uh, quite a bit of flu and cold cases these past few months. And so do you have any recommendations on how to maybe strengthen your immune system or how do you deal with someone who actually starting to show symptoms of cold or flu? Sure. Yeah. I, I think of this, like this time of year, the colder months, and um, it's kind of two, like you've already kind of said this, but there's kind of two approaches. There's one, prevention, and how do we strengthen our immune system so we don't get sick? And then, especially with herbs, we have an opportunity, even if we do get sick, at those very first stages, we can um, start to take things and hopefully either shorten the duration of a cold or just stop it entirely. So we'll talk about prevention because that's always best if we just never sure. get sick in the first place. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things, you know, I, I love the immune system because we can't dissect it in the way that um, physiologists try to dissect like the cardiovascular system or the nervous system and say, as they separate it from the body and say, you know, like this is, this is separate, you know, we recognize that sure. the body is all, um, uh, you know, it's a whole and it operates on a whole and the immune system really shows us that because the immune system, there isn't like a clear defined set of glands or organs or what have you, but we know that say in the digestive system, there's actually quite a bit of immune function there. Um, and then various glands and cells all over the body. So I love that about it. And I think, you know, part of that also translates to how, when we strengthen our immune system, we can do so in such a wide variety of ways. And it's rarely is it that one thing you do, but mm -hmm. rather the many things we do. So whether that's um, from movement, you know, this time of year, uh, I always practice yoga and, you know, it's not always fun for me to get out because it's um, where I live. It's uh, the snow is nice, but sometimes it can be slushy or icy or, you know, all the, those things in between, but I still try to get out frequently um, and just, you know, breathe that fresh air. Uh, there's a, you know, get out within the forest. You know, we know that breathing in, you know, like especially conifer trees and being in a forest actually stimulates our immune system, like forest bathing studies that they've done in Japan. And that, you know, I am lucky enough that I live within a forest, but 
even just getting out on the street that has a lot of trees or walking through a park can be a way to, I'm sure there's so much to be said for just getting fresh air. Um, then there's, you know, vitamin D status is really important to be monitoring that. So I recommend people get tested frequently and then take steps that they need to to make sure their vitamin D status is at a good level, whether that's getting appropriate amounts of sunshine if they live in an area, they can do that. And, um, and in terms of herbs, which is, of course, my favorite part of all this, there, we have such amazing herbs for supporting the immune system. And when we talk about prevention, we're generally talking about a class of herbs called immunomodulators. And the idea behind these is that they are modulating the immune system in such a way that it, it's kind of this all-around strengthening. Um, and so these herbs are often appropriate for people who have... Um, say seasonal allergies, which is considered kind of an excess immune response, or people who are getting frequent colds and flus, which might be considered a deficient immune response. So immunomodulators. One of my very favorites is stragulus. And this is a root that we use the root and that plant originally comes from China, but Western herbalists have just really latched on to this one and it's one of um, our most commonly uh, used herbs according to some surveys in Western herbalism. And the reason I love it is because it's gentle, it has a mild taste, and you were mentioning, you know, using herbs in food, and um, astragalus is a wonderful plant that can be used in food. So it can just be part of the tradition of cooking, of making broth, of making rice, and just putting some astragalus in there. Mm -hmm. um, but it can also be made into its own drinks and um, and taken more deliberately like that. But so astragalus is a wonderful immunomodulator. It's helping to strengthen the immune system. And so when somebody comes to me and they say, oh, you know, I get every cold that comes around, I get the flu every year, astragalus is something that I'm thinking of almost immediately, as long, you know, as well as all the other things like vitamin D and movement and eating a nutrient dense diet. But astragalus becomes a really important part of their overall protocol. And I like to um, use it in fairly large dosages, which is how they do it in Chinese medicine. And mm -hmm. so um, and a daily amount might be 30 grams. In Chinese medicine, they'll use up to 100 grams of it, which um, just visualizing, if you don't know what 30 grams look like, you know, it's an ounce of herbs. And so with this root, it's like a big handful of the root. Right. And that's for one person every day. And so um, it's fun to use it in food. And I think that's a great way to just um, get this kind of phytonutrients from astragalus. But if somebody is like really not doing well in the immune system department, you know, they're getting frequent colds and flus, then in addition to having some here and there in their food, I think that having it more frequently and a more deliberate dose every single day is important. So one of my favorite ways to have it is to mix it with um, spices like ginger and cinnamon and cloves and cardamom and to mix that with astragalus and simmer it for an extended period of tea. It's warming, it's spicy, and that um, can be enjoyed every day. So there's um, the chai tea, and I know that's one of, I think one of my most famous recipes is astragalus mm -hmm. chai. And um, I'm sure we can find a link somewhere <laughs> for people yeah. um, for uh, later. But that's, um, again, people love it because it's delicious. And, then, um, and you don't have to be someone who's always getting sick to enjoy this. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of a food and medicine, um, you can just simply have a, a stragulus chai throughout the winter months um, just to support your immune system, so in general. So that's one of my favorites. 
I love that idea. I love the idea of chai. Um, a lot of your recipes you were able to publish either through Learning Herbs or your own website, but you also recently published a book that's called Alchemy of Herbs, Transform Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies that Heal. And this is uh, one of my favorite resources that I recommend to my students to check out. And so I think that it is incredibly empowering for students to really to recognize that there are some of these herbs that they can easily purchase and they can make soups and teas can incorporate in their uh, daily life. Are there any other recipes in your book that you found to be especially useful for the treatment or prevention of colds and flu? Yeah, so um, I would say that kind of the next step is that if you um, feel like you're coming down with something and that feels, you know, I think we all know that feeling, whether it's a tickle in the back of the throat or feeling low energy or starting to feel the sniffles, whatever that might be. Um, when you first start to feel that, we still have a window of opportunity where we can kind of saturate ourselves with various herbs and help our bodies to just fight off that initial infection. And this can totally stop a cold or flu from coming on, or it can, you know, even just shorten the drain. One of the best herbs for this is, um, elder and that's elder flower and elderberry. I use elderberries quite a bit and um, they grow around me. I harvest a lot each fall and freeze them. And then I make um, a decoction out of the berries. And basically I just take the berries, put them in a pot and simmer them. I often simmer them with other roots. I might put in a little bit of licorice root, which is um, a wonderful antimicrobial herb. Or, um, and sometimes I'll put in some juice with that too, as just kind of a more natural sweetener. But I'll simmer that for about 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll add some aromatic spices like rosemary or thyme, and then strain all of that off. And what results is this kind of a thick liquid. Some people add honey or sugar to this to make a syrup, mm -hmm. but I like to just make it like this, just as this really strong decoction. And I'll make like a quart of that a day with, um, you know, with a lot of the berries and I'll just drink that all within a day. And I think that's something, you know, elderberry syrup has become very famous for its ability to stop a cold or a flu. We know it, you know, we know of it from traditional use and it's also been studied extensively showing that it's very effective against viruses and it acts in a really cool way. I think it's so fascinating. I'm sure it acts in many ways that, you know, we might not ever fully understand, but one of the ways that it works is that the flavonoids within the elderberries, they inhibit a virus from replicating it at the onset of something is so important. Can you imagine like this virus is in you, it's replicating like crazy, trying to you know do its thing. And then by saturating your body with this elderberry, the elderberry is coming in and inhibiting the virus from replicating. So just kind of stopping it in its tracks. So I'm sure it works in so many other ways, but we know through studies that that's one way it works. And uh, so, when I see people, well, not people, but if you go to the health food store and you pick up some elderberry syrup, they most likely have some. And mm -hmm. you might read on the bottle, it'll say like, take three teaspoons, three, or take one teaspoon three times a day. Right. It's kind of the recommended dosage for that. And um, I, I found that for me, you know, the most effective is actually to take it way more frequently, like every 30 minutes. And what I do is I just have a little cup 
and I just carry around this cup with me all day long and just take sips from the cup um, pretty regularly. So um, that's, and again, I might go through a quart of that a day, and um, which is why I don't like to make it into a syrup, because you imagine like adding a whole bunch of sugar or honey to that mixture is just drinking a lot of, mm-hmm. um, lots of sugar. So since I take so much of it, I like to just keep it um, less sweet. But um, anyway, so that's a great way to just stop that. And it tastes delicious. So it's great for, safe for kids, um, you know, but works great for everybody. So that's something I always recommend people have on hand. And then there's elder flowers, which mm-hmm. are also can be used at the onset of a cold or a flu. And I especially like to use elder flowers if there's uh, also a fever accompanying the symptom. I like to mix it with aromatic mints like sage or peppermint, rosemary, and that can also be taken at the onset to shorten the duration. Um, you could take both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Okay. The plant in general is just really fabulous for stopping. You know, and so continuing. for someone who doesn't have access to fresh uh, elderberries or freezing them uh, during the uh, harvest, uh, you can also buy the dried ones, right? Oh, absolutely. And the dried works great too. There's really no, um, I don't have a preference for dried or fresh. I just happen to have them growing so commonly around me that it's easy to harvest them fresh. But um, you can easily get the dried berries and dried flowers. I actually often buy the flowers myself because there aren't so many plants around me that if I harvested all the flowers, I would still have enough berries later. So, okay. Um, okay. That yeah. makes sense. All right. Yeah. That's great. Um, so thank you. Thank you for this advice. Um, one question that I wanted to ask you is your website that provides a lot of um, recommendations and a lot of uh, recipes also has a lot of different uh, resources. Um, do you have favorites perhaps? I know that you have a virtual bookshelf where you recommend a variety of different herbal books, but maybe resources of other herbalists. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I do have a section, um, a resource section, and I just kind of create these different resources as I'm inspired to do so. Um, I have good traffic to my site, and so I just like to use that to help people. So um, one one resource I'm really excited about was something I just added in the past year, and it's a list of U.S. and Canadian farms, uh, herbal farms, and wild crafters. Mm -hmm. And so you can go and look at, at that list, and click to see if there is an herbal farm or wild crafter near you or somewhat close to you. And um, even if there's not, there's so many fabulous farms on there that you can click through and visit. And oftentimes, you know, getting our herbs, if we're not able to grow them ourselves or harvest them ourselves, getting them direct from a small farmer is often one of the best ways to get the highest quality materials. And then we're also supporting what we want to see more of in the world, right? Which is more herbal farmers. I'd rather see more farms than concrete. So, um, so it's a really wonderful way to support herbalists. And, you know, sometimes those resources cost a little bit more, but every time I've paid a little bit more uh, to get those herbs direct from the farmer, I found this, the quality is just, um, you know, so superior and just amazing quality. So I highly recommend checking that out. And who knows, maybe you have a herb farm near you, which could open up different possibilities too in terms of learning or, um, or whatever the case may be. So I really, I really appreciate that, um, that resource. And I had, I had help putting it together. So I appreciate that help as well. And, um, 
other, I do have like a section of articles I think of specifically for herbalists on like very particular, very specific topics, like how to make sense of herbal me measurements, or um, I do have some articles about growing your herbal business. Yeah. Sure. I have book reviews that are done um, by an herbalist and friend of mine. And so you can read about different books and kind of get a more in-depth review of various books out there too. Thank you, Rosalie. Thank you. So as we are coming to an end of our interview, I have two questions for you. My first one is there are there certain things that you would like this audience to know that we perhaps didn't cover in this conversation? And then the second one is how can someone learn more about you and from you? Yeah, um, well, for the first one, um, it's a good question. Of course, there's so many things that we could cover <laughs> together. Um, I would say I just, in terms of like parting thoughts, that yeah. um, learning about herbs is so exciting. Like, at every step of the process, I feel like if you're just very new to this or have been doing it for a while or been doing it for a long while, it's such a beautiful thing that there is always so much more to learn and so many different facets of, of learning um, and things, you know, there'll be a year will go by where I'm just intensely interested in knowing this one plant and, um, you know, researching it and spending time with it and drinking it and everything. And I'll just be obsessed with this one plant. And then there are other years where I'm just, you know, really into learning about wild crafting or really into medicine making. There's just so much to learn. And, and so what I would say, you know, as adults, um, one thing that's, I think, pretty awesome is that we get to follow our passions and study what we want to study. Uh, and so I would say to do that, you know, look at what you're inspired to do and follow that, whether it's like learning in-depth uh, pharmacology and constituents of herbs or, you know, learning how to transform um, ingredients in your kitchen into your own remedies. So whatever you're most interested in, I would say uh, go for it and and relish each step because it is, it's so much fun and it's such a blessing that we get to learn so much from the plants. And um, so that's what I would leave you with. And Thank you. in terms of, yeah, um, in terms of staying in touch, I do have my website herbswithrosalie.com, which mm -hmm. has a lot of, as I mentioned, resources, has herbal monographs and lots of information there. And I do have, a, um, if you sign up on my newsletter, I have a little constitution quiz uh, and course that you can take about learning your own herbal uh, constitution. I'm on, uh, and I write a lot of articles for Learning Herbs too. And Learning Herbs has a great website with lots of um, free uh, and available information too. So I can, and you're uh, also on social, social media, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much on all of them. So okay. <laughs> you can always just do a search um, okay. as well. Yeah. Rosalie, thank you so very much. It was most fascinating. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lana. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this very timely conversation with Rosalie. There are multiple resources as well as three different recipes available to you through the show notes today at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 14. Today, I would like to ask you to help the show by leaving an iTunes rating or review so more people could learn about the podcast. Thank you in advance for doing this. This episode is proudly sponsored by Pure Indian Foods. Pure Indian Foods is a company created by the fifth generation of ghee makers. Ghee is a healthy, shelf-stable alternative to butter and other cooking oils. 
Since it has a high smoke point, ghee is one of the best fats you can use for baking and high heat cooking. To learn more about the products and the company's philosophy, please visit wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash pureindianfoods or check out the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 14 for the links to the product I usually have on hand in my kitchen, 100% organic grass-fed ghee. If you use a discount code LANA, you'll get $5 off on your first order over $25. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm-hmm.